Welcome to the Room 102 podcast. I'm Mr. Rostin. This is a podcast coming from Champaign, Illinois, uh, for students at Franklin Steam Academy, but really it's for any middle school student that wants to learn science in times when uh, we are on long breaks from school. Uh, as of this recording, our return date is still April 8th. Uh, if that has changed by the time we listen to this recording, I apologize. Um, but since we're still not in school, let's go ahead and let's learn some science. We're continuing this week on the history of science. Again, assuming that we don't need to start learning chemistry yet because we're going to learn chemistry when we get back in April. If that changes, we'll start doing actual chemistry lessons on this podcast as well for anyone that's interested. Um, but for now, we're just talking about the history of science. Today, I wanted to start by actually talking about science as it's known in the Eastern part of the world. Because oftentimes in American schools, we tend to focus on uh, science as we know it in the Western world. Um, and so we're gonna devote Wednesday's podcast to that. And uh, you know what the way that uh, North America, Europe, um, and other parts of the world have looked at what quote unquote science is. But there's a whole different approach to science in different parts of the world. And we oftentimes don't give them enough credit, one, for having their own version of science, but two, contributing to the Western idea of science. So let's talk about um, specifically two areas of Western science. And then toward the end of the episode, we'll talk about why uh, other parts of the world besides Europe and North, North America don't get the credit they deserve for what they've contributed to science. First, let's look at a famous um, scientist from the ancient Middle East, specifically Hassan ibn al-Hathaym. Uh, Hassan um, was mainly a physicist. He talked about how light um, is absorbed by the body. And we've talked a little bit about that in class, you know, the anatomy of the eye and how it goes into the pupil. Um, and so that it's not necessarily that which makes him extraordinarily famous. What makes him famous is that in uh, about, about uh, a thousand CE, he was already using what is known now as the scientific method. The scientific method in Western science often doesn't get attributed to the 12th, uh, the 1200s or the 13th century. And really it's not until the 17th or 18th century that we even say that like someone came up with something called the scientific method. And yet um, this scientist um, uh, whose name is Latinized as Al-Hazen, Al-Hazen was already using this um, 700 years before it was used in the West. So if you think that Europe and North America came up with science before the other countries did, that is 100% not true. Um, he was born in Iraq. He died in Egypt. Um, he is mainly known for his theory of optic, but he also did some mathematical work as well. Essentially, I bring up Al-Hazen because Al-Hazen he believed in something called empiricism. And if you look up a lot of famous scientists from the ancient world, you'll see that it lists them as empiricists. Um, specifically, Al-Hazen felt that uh, you have to, um, you have to sort of take what is around you and then interpret it uh, by testing it. Because he studied optics, 
Alhazen did not necessarily quote-unquote believe his eyes. He didn't believe that what he was seeing was necessarily real. If he saw flashes in front of his eyes, he didn't believe there were lights in front of there. He knew that his eyes were playing tricks on him. He also knew that if he saw something really, really hot and it looked like it was giving off waves, he knew that necessarily there weren't necessarily like magical waves coming off of that object, but rather that there was something happening to that object because he could see it with his eyes. He was taking in physical evidence. He was using like empirical evidence to say, hey, there's something different about that really hot object. But then Al-Hazen believed that that should be tested um, to see why you know, it looks like little small air waves are kind of coming off of a very, very hot object. Um, that's a revolutionary way to think at the time. Most people were using different framing to um, take in that kind of information. A lot of things were described by mythological narrative. Uh, some things were attributed to illusion or um, like demons. Uh, some people simply threw up their hands and said, that does that. We don't need to know why. Um, so uh, Abin uh, Hassan Abin al-Hathaim saying, no, we need to take all of this evidence that we have and then test it to see why it's true, combining both observation and theory um, was revolutionary at the time. Um, it is people like him and others who tried to take the works of Aristotle and other Greek philosophers and incorporate them into their work. And there are a lot of um, people in the Middle East, including Muslim clerics, that tried to save great works that were otherwise burned at the time, um, either because of war, you know, you'd, take, you'd sack a city and you burn its library, or because uh, they felt like the works were heretical, because uh, people believed that uh, only the divine could tell you uh, true knowledge about the world. So if you were trying to come up with true knowledge about the world through logic or your own observations, it was considered um, prideful, and they burned a lot of people's works that did that. Um, so, uh, people like, uh, Hassan Ibn al-Hathaym tried to save those works and, um, commemorate them in a way that allowed us to benefit from them. Um, another great scientist in another field would be, uh, Yang Hui. Yang Hui, uh, is from China and he lived around the 1200s to so the, the 13th century. And he was a mathematician. He didn't do as many uh, mathematical experiments, but he contributed a little bit to the field of science. And specifically, he was frustrated by um, the system of testing in China. So that's why I bring him up, because he gets us into talking about why science isn't considered having um, the same tradition in the East as it is in the West. Um, Part of the problem, as Yang Hui puts it, when he was trying to come up with new tests to figure out his theories of mathematics, he said that um, scientists and mathematicians in China were coming up with their own methods for different problems. So every time there was a new problem, a scientist or a mathematician wouldn't use the quote-unquote scientific method. They'd come up with their own method of solving that. And then when they got to a new problem, the scientists and the mathematicians would use a new method. Now that was culturally appropriate at the time. Uh, there was no streamlined or centralized process, but Yang Hui said the men of old changed the name of their methods from problem to problem so that as no specific explanation was given, there was no way of telling their theor theoretical origin or basis. So he couldn't use some of the discoveries made by other scientists and mathematicians because there was no explanation for how they got there. And we need explanations to, to build on knowledge. Now, this problem was recognized, however, um, and was being worked on in a completely different way. A lot of times we assume that 
um, the spheres of influence in China, which is when um, Western countries and European countries kind of took over China in different spots and then claimed areas of territory that they could trade in. A lot of people assume that because the the Chinese were not technologically advanced enough to fight off our advanced guns, but that's not true. The four great inventions uh, as listed uh, in Chinese culture are gunpowder, the compass, and then the one I want to talk about is um, papermaking and printing. Um, papermaking was actually invented in China, and it was invented in China because China is a very large landmass. Because China is so big, they needed more than anyone to centralize their government to unite their people. The uniting of all the different city-states in China is actually a huge part of their history. Um, and different states trying to break off and become their own country in China has been happening there for thousands of years. And so the Chinese history is marred with people trying to come up with their own methodology for doing things. And so because they're not, they haven't been able to centralize their science system before, you know, the Renaissance, essentially, um, they are not seen as scientifically prolific as other countries. And yet that's not true. They have just as many great discoveries as any other country. Um, I'll just mention, I'm actually running out of time. I'll try to keep these under 10 minutes. Also mention that the African tradition and the Indian tradition also have great scientists. India especially invented um, plumbing. You wouldn't have sewers or use a toilet if it wasn't for the scientists in India. But, uh, and we know about that because of the Silk Road, uh, the trade route allowed us to um, steal some of their inventions and use them. But they... Uh, don't get credit for that because they didn't have a lot of writing. Not a lot of things were written down in India and Africa. So some of their scientific discoveries aren't really recorded. I'm running out of time. I do not have a joke for you today. I do not have time to uh, tell you one. I am so sorry. I'll have a joke for you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Uh, and I'll also have uh, your experiment ready for you uh, tomorrow as well. Um, have a good day and stay safe.